topic tonight is out of Isaiah chapter 57. Maybe you've seen uh, bumper stickers or something like this, right? I have a t-shirt that says this, uh, no God, no shalom, no God, no shalom, right? <laughs> and, uh, and that's basically the theme, well, part of the theme, there's a lot in Isaiah 57, as there's a lot in every chapter of Isaiah, um, in the whole book, but uh, that's one of the things we'll see in, in this chapter. 57 verse 1, the righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. And that is very true of what's going on in the news, even just this week. The righteous perishes, and no one takes it to heart. Uh, believers are being massacred in the world today, and very little voices seem to take it to heart. They're more interested in, in a, a nothingness. A lot of the news is just uh, spouting just nothingness, and, and, and governments are doing very little uh, to seriously combat, or even address, or even acknowledge the evils that are going on in the world today. Righteous are perishing, whole cities perishing, and no one seems to take it to heart. I shouldn't say nobody, I mean, that's what the Bible says, but it seems like nobody at times. The merciful men are taken away. And then this next part, uh, and some translations have it this way, no one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. Right? There's a saying, only the good die young, right? And that's not biblical or true. Uh, but sometimes it seems that way. Uh, but this is an interesting text that kind of sheds a little light on it, that sometimes God allows even righteous people to die before their time, as we would think young in our eyes, but God is protecting them from some evil to come. Maybe something that would come in their life or the evils that will come upon this world. And so God is very merciful in our lives. He is still in control. While the devil is ruling over this earth, God is still in control of the universe and technically over this world as well. The devil doesn't get a lot along uh, 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 doesn't get away with anything unless God allows him to, and only if God knows that that will be best in the long run for his people. Book of Job makes that very plain and clear. And so I thought that was very interesting, uh, that God is protecting us even when he allows things that seem to us to not be good in our eyes. Verse 2. He shall enter into peace. Talking about the righteous. The righteous who dies. The righteous who is taken uh, early. The one who is protected from evil. The righteous who the world doesn't seem to care about them dying. He shall enter into peace. Sealed with God. They shall rest in their beds. Each one walking in his uprightness. And so they may perish as far as this earth is concerned. May die as far as this earth is concerned, but they are at peace. They rest in their beds. Maybe that's where we get the term, rest in peace, right? Maybe from this very verse, where right? we get those three words right in this verse. They are resting in peace. They're resting in God's shalom because they have known God. Because they have known the peace of God in this life that they are able to rest in peace, in the assurance of the resurrection, of the assurance 
of the Messiah's coming, as we just sang. Baruch b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He comes and he's coming again. Give us eternal peace and everlasting peace. They have known righteousness. Right? That's what verse 1 said, right? The righteous perish. So they have known righteousness because they have known the righteous one. Thus they know in their hearts, in their minds, in their life, in their experience. They've known the peace of God. The shalom that comes only from God. No place else to go. That's right. That is the place into God's heart. Into God. Being wrapped in his love, in his peace. And then when we die, whenever our time comes, whether it's seemingly too early or whenever it is, we will rest in God's peace. We will rest in God. We will rest in God's love. And the assurance, our time in would have been sealed. We would have been sealed in him. God has done what he chose to do through us. And then we wait for the resurrection to come. Wait for the eternal promised land to experience it in God. Resting in him. But come here, you sons of sorcerers. You offspring of adulterers and harlots. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? So as we see throughout Isaiah, he gives this contrast, the righteous and the wicked, throughout Proverbs, throughout the Bible. There are two sides to the battle. There are two forces on the earth. That's not an imaginary thing of Hollywood. Hollywood and the world copies what is reality in this world ever since Lucifer was cast out of heaven. So after God makes this beautiful proclamation and promise to the righteous of his peace, he invites the sorcerers and the sons of sorcerers and the harlots and the sons and daughters of our harlots and adulterers to come here, come listen to God. Who do you think they're, you're mocking, he says? Against whom do you stick out your tongue and make wide your mouth? You children of sin, verse 4, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks, sacrificing them. They are your lot. Even to them you have poured a drink offering. You have offerings of grain offerings. And should I receive comfort in these? That's interesting. Should I receive comfort in these, your grain offerings? So obviously he's talking about a group who's trying to play both sides. Sons of harlots and sorcerers and adulterers offering their children in the clefts of the rock, offering them to their gods. And yet at the same time trying to offering grain offerings to God. Trying to play both sides. Trying to play it safe. Oh God, we're, we're following your biblical ways sometimes. We pick and choose the portions we like or that are convenient or easy enough. We've got some leftover grain. Okay, so we'll offer a grain offering to you. At the same time, we're doing what seems comfortable to us and making up our own things and, and our own ways to worship. 
according to the, our own dictates. Things haven't changed. Still going on today. Children are still being sacrificed on the altar of sin today. Those that are partaking in sin and sinful ways still trying to appease themselves that they know God and are doing good by God and maybe throw a donation to some charitable organization every so often. Try and appease their conscience that they're okay with God. Quote the Bible maybe here or there when it conveniently fits. There, but they're not fooling anyone. God says, who do you think you're fooling? Who do you think you're mo mocking? Verse 7, on a lofty high mountain you set your bed. Even there you went to offer sacrifice. Behind the doors you uncover yourself to those other than me. You enlarge your bed and make a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their nudity. Talking about the temple prostitutes. Make these offerings and have sexual relations as if that was part of worshiping their God. Behind closed doors, not fooling anyone. And again, today's society, and even among professed believers who think they can commit sexual perversities, behind closed doors, pornography of all sorts, and at the same time, think they're okay with God. God sees. God sees everything. God knows. And he will not be mocked. He will not be laughed at. Verse 11. Of whom have you been afraid or feared? That you lied and not remembered me, nor taken it to heart. Is it because I have held my peace from of old that you do not fear me? God is very merciful and has been very merciful to this country and to people for a very long time. He's very long-suffering. He's allowed sin to continue. He's allowed us to have free choice. And sometimes that has caused people to think they're getting away with it. Caused people, since no calamity, major calamity has come into their life. No major calamity has taken place in this country. And we think we're okay. And we think God is approving of our sinfulness and our sinful ways. He doesn't. The cup of iniquity is being filled. And we will bear the results of sowing to the wind. We will reap the whirlwind. This country and individuals will pay the price for our choices. God will not, again, be mocked. But he asks, why haven't you feared me? Is it because I've held my peace for so long? And so he steps back and he lets us go, pours out his spirit, he shows us right from wrong. He sends his word, he sends people to warn us and warn the world. And yet calamity doesn't happen overnight. Not the first alcoholic drink that causes someone to be an alcoholic and lose their job and lose their family and lose their savings. 
not the first puff on a cigarette that causes cancer. It's not the first joint or drug that causes someone to lose their mind. But step by step, we erode the protections that God has placed there. And that's in the physical world with our bodies and our minds, but also in the spiritual world as well. It's not when we stray a little bit, backslide a little bit, compromise a little bit, that boom, judgment takes place. God is very merciful, very long-suffering. He'd rather we wake up ourselves, that we hear his spirit, that we are reminded of what we've learned in the past, that we use common sense and see right and wrong, that we learn from other people's experiences. We have a long history of experiences to learn from, to see. And no one is really without excuse. But eventually, it will catch up with us. Verse 12, I will declare your righteousness and your works, for they will profit, they will not profit you. How can righteousness and works not profit? Well, the key there is the word your. I will declare your righteousness, your works. He's talking to a people again who are offering sacrifices, playing religiosity, playing with spirituality, but not according to God's word. And thus he will make it revealed. God will expose it. What's done behind the closed doors, everything will be seen. I will declare your righteousness and your works, but they will not profit you. Think we can get ahead by compromising on God's word. We think we can have more if we give less. We think we can do more if we rest less. We think we can accomplish more and, 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 and gain more if we manipulate and coerce and use unholy means and lying and being selfish. God says, it will profit us nothing. It will not profit us. There's a one way to receive God's prosperity, God's blessings, God's goodness. When I say prosperity, I'm not talking about necessarily a lot of money in your pocket. God chooses to bless that way, he might. In my case, I happen to just get the spiritual blessings. <laughs> you know? Or whatever, you know, but uh, maybe that's your lot. But those are more important than anything, right? But God chooses how he wants to bless. But prospering in God, having the peace of God, having the peace of God in our hearts and in our minds, and if God chooses to trust us with influence or whatever else, that's up to him to choose to use. But there's no turnkey formula for financial profitability. Whatever the case, 
trying to, certainly trying to bypass God or bypass God's word, will not profit on any level. Well, maybe for a time it might seem. Again, God is very merciful. He says he held his peace from of old. But eventually, it catches up. It will not profit in the long scheme of things. How long is 70, 80, 90, 100 years within eternity? Within billions and billions and tens of billions of years, it's nothing. Less than a blink of an eye. So it will profit not. Verse 13, and when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them. So if we trust in our own righteousness, in our own ways, in our own means, in our own dealings, in our own works, when trouble comes, try, call out to them. Trying to call out to them to help us. And the wind will just blow it away. Because there is no help in our own righteousness. There is no help in our own works. There is no help in our man-made religions, in our man-made theories, in our man-made theologies. Help comes from God. Who sits enthroned on high. Our help comes from him and him alone. God often and throughout the word calls us to cry out to him. And we'll see that in another chapter in Isaiah. Verse 13, but he who puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Trust not in the idols. Trust not in the things of this world. Trust not in self. Trust not in people. Trust in God. Trust God. That's the key. In God we trust. It's interesting that here in the United States our money says that on it. In this guy we trust. <laughs> some, it's the money they trust in. That's right. Some, it's the mammon. Some, it's the money they're trusting in. But our trust is not in the money, not in the things of this world, not in the powers of this world, not in the politics of this world. Some people have made politics their God and political figures their gods, putting their trust in them. The next great name that'll save us. Our trust needs to be in God. He who puts his trust in God shall possess the land, and shall inherit my holy mountain. Put our trust in God. Cry out to him. Look to him, you peoples of this earth. Lift up our eyes to his holy mountain. Trust in him. That's where his deliverance is. That's where his power is. Verse 14, one shall say, heap it up, heap it up. Prepare the way 
Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Build it up. Build it up. Remove the stones. Remove the barriers. Pave the road. Set the way straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. A voice in the wilderness. Making the way of God straight. That's what he calls us to. That's what he calls us to be. That's what he calls us to do. To trust in God. Inherit the land. Inherit the mountain. God's mountain. And prepare the way for others to find the land. The eternal promised land. The new Jerusalem. God's holy mountain. God's throne room. Prepare the way. Build the road. Remove the blocks. Remove the stumbling blocks. Remove the stumbling stones. How can we do that? Lots of ways, being a voice. Being a voice against evil. Being a voice for righteousness. Condemning what is wrong. Supporting what is right. There's lots of ways we can do that. The internet gives us the ability. We can comment on news articles. We can let our voice be heard in our circles, in our, with our friends. With the type of things we post on Facebook or other type of means. We can let it be known what is right and what is wrong. We can expose error so that fallacies of this world and the stones of this world are removed. We can be a helping hand. We can build the road by helping one another. Encouraging one another. Building one another up ministering to one another, caring, praying for one another, ministering in our work, in our lives, throughout the week, ministering in blessing in the services and in the work of the synagogue and the congregation, being a blessing, paving the road, building up God's kingdom, heaping it up, Stone upon stone, building up God's work, teaming together, working together, committing together, unifying, holding fast, committing our lives to the Lord, being consecrated to him, trusting in him, being used by him, knit together, United together, working together, being consistent, being committed to God's work and to one another. Build it up. Build it up. Heap it up. Prepare the way. Take away the stumbling blocks. Be a good example. Pave the way. Lead the way. Show the way. Walk the way. And as we walk along, remove the stumbling stones. Demonstrating to others how to have victory over sin. Demonstrating to others how to talk, how to walk, how to live, how to work. 
So we interact with other people in school and in community and our neighbors. Let it be seen. Pave the way. And as people see you gain victory in some area of your life, they see you be kind, as they see you be loving, they see you rejoicing in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, being consistent in your walk with God and in every aspect, it's removing stones. And they say, if he could do it by God's grace, I could do it by God's grace. Remove the stumbling stones. Verse 15, for those who say, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, or I mean, sorry, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What a beautiful verse. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Can you trust with someone trust in someone with that title? With that on their resume? The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. He's been there from the beginning. He'll be there forever. He sees it all from his high and lofty position. He sits enthroned above the distractions of this world. Nothing blocking his view. And from his high and lofty position... He's still in control. His name is holy. Whose name is holy. He is holy. He is pure. He is good. He is righteous. Not according to our own form of what we think is right and wrong, but he is right and wrong. So we look to him for holiness. We look to him to see the example of holiness. We look to him to see what is right and what is wrong. Whose name is holy. There seems to be a lot going on now permeating some circles that people think that God's name is Yah or God's name is Jehovah or God's name is Yahweh. And that's his only name. And they'll quote some places where it says that. My name is Yah or my name is... But it also says my name is holy. So which is it? Do we ignore texts like this? Do we ignore plain texts like this and just hold on to the ones that meet the, whatever name we want? So which name does he have? Which is right? And we should make a group where we'll just call, everyone has to say his name is holy. Just call on holy. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. That's it. When you pray, say, oh, Kadosh. Our Kadosh that art in heaven. Right? That's what it says. Your name is holy, whose name is holy. This is what he says. For thus says the high and lofty one, whose name is holy. We can make a doctrine on that. Here's a Bible text for it. God has lots of names. Throughout the scriptures, he's called by many names. Many names. Because his name represents his character. We see that in the Bible. People's names were given often based on their character. 
or something in their life. Well, God's character is bigger than anything we could limit down to one word. He is all those things. He is many, many things. And all of them wrapped up in one. He dwells in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. He dwells with the righteous. The righteous know peace. Because the righteous are contrite and humble. Because we've received God's contriteness and God's humbleness. Now, humble doesn't mean weak. Humble doesn't mean shy. Humble doesn't mean afraid. Humble doesn't mean that we get walked all over. Contrite doesn't mean that we sit and hide. Contrite doesn't mean that we don't say anything while evil is taking over the world. But contrite and humble before God. Not boasting our own righteousness before God. Not trusting in our own righteousness and our own works. But trusting 100% in God. Humble before Him. Acknowledging that without you, God, we can do nothing. But through you, we can do all things. That's what contrite is. That's what humble is. And then he revives the spirit of the humble and revives the heart of the contrite one. He revives us. He brings us to life. Works in us and through us. Manifesting his glory. Verse 16, I will not contend forever nor will I always be angry. For his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry, and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. God is able to change us. No matter if we're sons of sorcerers or adulterers or fornicators or harlots, no matter if we've contended with God, no matter if we've trusted in our own righteousness or in our own works, no matter if we've been proud or haughty, God is able to heal us. He's able to revive. He's able to restore. He's able to change. That's a powerful God. Change the human heart. To change the human life. And we can experience that by confessing our sins to him. Surrendering them to him. Acknowledging them before him. It's part of being humble and contrite. Confessing our weaknesses and confessing our faults. Confessing our sins. Confessing our rebellion. And coming before him. And he takes those sins. And he washes them away in his love. He placed them in the Messiah. He buried them in the tomb. And he has removed them from us. And yet he lives. Thus he can place in us his heart. And his mind and his life. And change us. And restore comfort to us.
as we trust in him. Verse 19, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Again, God is able to give peace. God will pronounce peace. Peace between us and him as we come to him with contrition and humbleness, acknowledging our need and utter need and total need of him. He will heal us, draw near to us, remove his anger, remove his distance, come close and give us peace. No God, no peace. Experience God. Experience peace. Trust in God. And you will have peace. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and to him who is near, says the Lord. And he will heal us. He'll heal us of the worries and the cares and the fears, the anxieties. He'll heal us of the things that destroy us the most, the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness. He'll heal the sin-sick soul. He'll take it out. The hardness, the coldness, the selfishness, the greediness. He'll give us his heart. With love and compassion, meekness and kindness, Gentleness and goodness, joy and hope, faith and strength, power and victory. He will heal us as we come to him. And he'll give us his shalom. Verse 20, but the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt, and there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace. There is a divide. There will be a divide, an eternal divide. God will separate the sheep from the goats. God will have a judgment day. And God says there is no rest for the wicked. They're like a troubled sea, all in turmoil, all in knots, concerned and holding on to everything, and worried about everything, and up our night not able to sleep because they have no peace, because they're not trusting in God. Is anything troubling you? Any area where you don't have peace. Oh, you might have peace most of the time, but maybe some one area. Might not come into your mind for days, maybe weeks. But every so often, you're reminded of something. It seems to snatch away and steal away your peace. Surrender that area, or those areas, over to God. Some area that turns your stomach turns your heart, that troubles your mind like a troubled sea. 
Maybe you're worried about your children. Maybe you're worried about your future. Maybe you're worried about your health. Maybe you're worried about your finances or your living condition. Maybe your status in life. Surrender it all to God. A contrite and humble spirit who trusts in God will experience his perfect peace. Trust in God. Surrender it to him. But to the wicked, who trust in their own righteousness, to their own works, there is no peace. No peace for the wicked. And eventually a judgment day will come. And God will come, and he will come with his reward. to those who've trusted God, to those who've experienced his peace, will have his eternal rest. For the gift of God is eternal life. But the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> Trust in God. Trust in Yeshua the Messiah. Trust in his righteousness. Trust in the work that he has done for us. Trust in his accomplished work. Trust in his ability to cleanse us and heal our hearts. Trust in his ability to forgive our sins and to give us victory and change us. Trust in him. The high and lofty one who's above it all, who inhabits eternally, eternity, whose name is holy. Trust in him. And experience his peace. As we pray together, <clears throat> is there anything in your life that's robbing the peace that God wants you to experience? Surrender it to him. Trust in him. Give it over to him. Maybe it's some mistake you made in the past. Maybe some sin or maybe just some stupid mistake. Surrender it to him. Stop digging it back up. And surrender it and let go of it. And trust in him. Maybe some area, other area that God has brought to your mind tonight. Let's experience God's peace. And enter into his peace. So we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful that you are Sar Shalom. You are the Prince of Peace. And we're thankful that we can come to you and experience that peace. Lord, give us a contrite and humble spirit to surrender all to you, that we may dwell with you and in your habitation. Draw us with your everlasting love. Heal our minds and our hearts. And wash out of us through the sacrifice of the Messiah all sin, anything on our record, anything in our hearts and minds that's robbing away your peace. And may we experience you in your perfect peace. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.